Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. It reminds me of Jerome Bettis's late career rushing total. I think for one. Everything went black on my end. Once I spoke ill of Jerome Bettis, somebody kicked the plug out of my wall. Seriously. That was how we ended the show yesterday. On the way out the door, I lost power as I was starting to point out one of the all-time great stat lines in NFL history from week one of the 2004 season. Jerome Bettis, then with the Steelers, had five carries for one yard and three touchdowns. (laughs) Triple the touchdowns of the yardage. That has to be some kind of a record. Good morning. It's a Wednesday edition of PFT Live. Before I introduce the crew... I need to say hello and happy birthday to our good friend, Justin, in the UK, who is 53 today. And the only reason I complied is because he concluded his email asking for a birthday greeting with this line. It will piss my friends off and make my day. So congratulations, Justin. Your friends are pissed off and it will make your day even though you're 53, which is quite old. Good morning. I'm 54, by the way. Peter King joining us along with Chris Sims. How's everybody doing today? Good morning, Mike. I'm 62, about to be 63, and I don't feel a day over 58. (laughs) I'm 39, about to be 40 in August, and I can't believe I'm about to be 40, and I feel every bit of 39 when I get out of the bed in the morning. Back sore, hips are sore, so... Uh, I don't know what it feels like to be 58 or 63 or 64, but either way, I'm not liking the way uh, life is going right now. A little little crickety here over uh, early in the morning. Crickety, a little crickety, a little rickety. A little crickety. The case may right. be. The good news <laughs> is there is no pain emanating from your spleen this morning or any morning for that case. And uh, hello again to everybody as we get rolling. I'm so, I, all of a sudden, I'm giddy today. I don't, I don't understand, but I'm going to try to stay that way as long as possible. All right, we're going to be all giddy tomorrow night because it is one of the off-season events that we wait for, and it's finally here. Usually it happens before the draft, guys. 
It's happening now on Thursday, May 7. And usually when it happens, you've got basketball playoffs, hockey playoffs, baseball season has just started, and the schedule release still dominates the conversation. Well, now it's all we got. The NFL's 256-game regular season schedule to be released tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Eastern. And uh, look, uh, Peter, let me start with you. We expect a normal-looking schedule, but I also expect that there will be plenty of clues that people will immediately start scouring the schedule to try to find as to what the NFL's contingency plans may be. Mike, I would uh, I would look for those clues, um, and I would look for, in the first two or four, maybe both, weeks of the season, look for those weeks to be portable. In other words, look for those weeks to be able to easily fit on the end of the current schedule so that perhaps week three or week five, if the season has to be delayed, would be the NFL's first week of the season. And then either two or four weeks could get simply and easily tacked on to the end of the season so that the last four weeks of the season would actually be the last four weekends in January, and the playoffs would begin February 6th. Now, I don't know that's going to happen. No one knows it's going to happen. But for the NFL, the one thing they don't want to do, they know that they're going to have an imperfect season if and when they play. They know they might only be able to play X games this year. And they also know, and no one will say it inside the league yet, that it's possible, possible, that not every team will play eight home and eight away. Um, So I think what the NFL is going to try to do with this schedule is make it the most malleable it can so that it will be possible to pick up the schedule with week one, let's say, being in the week five schedule that they delivered to America on Thursday night. Well, is there any inklings or clues, you know, from have you either one of you heard? Are we going to hear any contingency plans when they do release the the schedule tomorrow night? I mean, are are we going to hear anything about? I don't think so, Chris. No, you don't don't think think you're going to hear anything like that. The NFL, I think the NFL is simply going to say that, hey, look, here's our plan right now. And this could change. But as of right now, this is our plan. And we intend to go forward as long as there are no, uh, you know, no detours, no roadblocks coming forward. But I think we all know that there are some roadblocks coming forward. Right. I mean, that's where I want to ask you guys. Do, 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 are you curious to why we're, why even have the schedule release yet? Why? Well, let's, let's not wait. Let's, let's try to <laughs> let things question. flush out a little bit. Right. I mean, to me, that is the biggest question right now is, oh, let's have a schedule release and we're not really sure what the schedule will be for life here in America. And then we'll, you know, reorganize from there. I mean, I understand it. I understand, you know, it's kind of the tradition of the NFL to do it this time of the year, but it's just a different year. And it just, to me, seems right right now, there's just, there has to be 10 different contingency plans. So what Peter said, maybe we got to cut games out. What do we do about teams and states that might not be open for business or might have different rules and laws and you can't stay and practice in those states or have large gatherings. I mean, that's where I'm just, uh, you know, not just confused as far as why we're doing it quite yet. Well, and there's a balance that has to be struck between creating a sense of normal, but also having the contingency plans 
in their pockets, and they do. But from the NFL's perspective, the idea is project confidence, project a sense that they are resolute, that they are determined, that they have their plan. And if the plan has to change later, so be it. But for now, here's our plan. 256 regular season games with the Chiefs hosting someone on Thursday, September 10, to get the season started, and it all goes from there. And if they have to change it, they will. Now, remember this. Remember this. There continues to be, whether it's justified or not, there continues to be a sense of optimism within the league that by the time we get to September, the world will be dramatically different than it is today. The testing will be much more prevalent, easily available, easy to do, a quick swab of the mouth, a prick of the finger for diagnostic testing, for antibody testing. The tests will be everywhere. And by then, the thinking is that our collective mindset will be, you know who you are if you need to stay home. You know who you are if you can go out in public, if you can go to a game, especially if they have the antibodies. And we know by then more about what it means to have the antibodies, which are evidence that the, the virus is already processed through your body. So I, I think that, that this schedule is the reflection of that confidence, Peter, that the league has that by September – things will be much different than they are now, even if no one is really coming out and saying it that way. No question about it, Mike. And it could well be that they'll play the 256 games exactly in the order that the NFL says that they'll play it. But this is different, right, than free agency or the draft. Free right. agency and the draft basically are not something that uh, is it's a scheduled event, but it doesn't mean that you have to do anything right now. Okay, it, you know you're you're going to change teams if you're a free agent, but you don't necessarily have to go to that team yet. You're going to get drafted by a team in the draft, but you don't necessarily have to go there yet. With the release of the schedule, one of the reasons the NFL releases the schedule is it gives a little bit of juice to all 32 teams and quite honestly, to a lot of people in the travel industry for people scheduling their trips for the season, you know, buying tickets, you know, the group of college roommates, you know, who, who, who went to Ohio State and they meet in Cleveland every year to go to a Browns game or something like that. Well, I doubt sincerely that there are going to be many or any uh, schedules made uh, tonight, you know, or plans made for big junkets uh, anywhere in the United States coming this fall. Now, who knows? Maybe they will. But I just don't really see the urgency to release the schedule right now. I don't really think that there's any good reason for it. Right. Because it, it could very well be that on July 20th, they're going to say, okay, we now know that Team X is not going to play at home, cannot play at home until Thanksgiving. So Team X is now moving to City Y. And, you know, so all I, all I can say is, you know, to me, there is no good reason to do the schedule now. It's not the biggest thing in the world, but I just think the NFL is going to be, is going to have to get out a big eraser. There's a good chance in two months. And I just don't really understand why it's happening now, other than the fact, well, we do this every year. Let's project confidence that we're going to play the season.
Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. That's why I raised the question there at the, you know, at the start of the segment. It just, uh, to me, it just seems a little presumptuous at this point. And it does seem that, you know, uh, right now, it seems realistic to think that 16 games are not going to happen in the normal fashion that we know it to be. And the schedule is not going to be completely normal. Now, listen, does it add juice and excitement? Am I excited? Yeah, I'm excited. I'm starving for anything. I mean, I'll take any sort of live action, live TV they can get to us right now. Here's the other thing I think that's interesting. You know, if you're a team, right, let's just say you're the New England Patriots and you're scheduled all of a sudden. It's week one. The schedule came out. You're going to Kansas City. All of a sudden, you're Bill Belichick and you spend two two months on preparing for Kansas City and all this. And then things change. I mean, I know these aren't like world ending problems, but there could be a lot of angry coaches who go, man, I wasted a lot of time because you guys had the schedule released and we kind of got ready with game plans and maybe to start a training camp or whatever it may be to prepare for that game and even maybe the second game because that's what teams do too. They'll prepare for game one and a little bit of game two to where that's, you know, a moot point. I know that's not like world changing or anything like that, but that certainly is going to frustrate some coaches and some players along the way if this does happen. Well, and Chris, you're touching on something that I want Peter to elaborate on, the idea that there necessarily will be some competitive imbalances here. You wrote about it Monday. It is unavoidable. I mean, what if the season begins with stadiums empty in some states and then later in the year the stadiums are open and if you're the 49ers and you went to Seattle in September and there were no fans there so it was a hell of a lot easier to play the Seahawks in their own stadium but then the Rams go in December and the stadium's full and they're registering earthquakes on the local Richter scale because of how loud it is there you've got a competitive imbalance in that NFC West it feels like somebody's going to get screwed and somebody's going to get an unfair benefit once they start, as you said, taking the eraser out or just by virtue of when stadiums are allowed to accommodate fans. You know, Mike, I quoted a, a, a top uh, team executive in my column on Monday, and he said basically at some point, we're going to have to start accepting the fact that this is going to be a year where there are going to be some inequalities, just like the one you just mentioned. And I'll, with all due respect to that scenario with the Seattle Seahawks, wah, wah, wah. Oh, no, no, because, I know, but, but I, look, no, I agree with you, is, but it's going to happen. I, hey, but, but some team is going to say that. I understand, right. Mike. Some team is going to say that, and I guarantee you when they say it, I'm going to start playing the violins and I'm going to say, nut up, baby. Because you have to understand that this year, this year absolutely is going to be different from any other year. And because it's different from any other year, who really cares if some team has to play in Seattle with a crowd and some team got the benefit of not playing? And, right. and Mike, I'll tell you the big deal, in my opinion, the big deal is going to be if some team, and I, I look, we can all speculate whatever we want about this, but I would bet that some team might play an imbalanced number of home and road games. And if that happens, now that's a real, you know, competitive imbalance. But again, if somebody does, to me, a coach or a GM or an owner 
who has to play an imbalanced number of home and road games would would curry a lot of favor, not just within the league, but in the United States, who say, hey, listen, we're lucky to be playing football this yeah, year. Yeah, that's right. You know, so I'm not going to whine about having six home games and 10 road games. Yeah, yeah, I, right, you're right. And, man, I almost lost it with your little phrase there. Buck up, Bart, is what I, I like. I like what you said there. You're <laughs> funny. Uh, but, usually but usually the, Sims is the one I have to worry about for two hours, Peter, not you. Yes, you got to worry about Peter, too. He's got a big mouth, <laughs> and it's not a great filter, just like me. So it's perfect. But, you know, I mean, I, I do look at it and go, if the season gets shortened, you know, first off, I agree with a lot of what Peter said. It's going to look very insensitive if teams are sitting there you know, people are going, dying, dealing with world, worldly issues, health issues, money issues, and teams complaining, oh, I only had four home games and this team had five home games. That's not fair. You know, that won't look good, to Peter's point. You're right. And it just seems like, hey, you know, 1982, 1987, strike seasons. They were very weird and different, you know, and it, it's just going to be about the teams that prepare the best to deal with what's about to face them and who can handle it the best and limit the distractions and not be worried about, Oh, where we're playing a game and this team got to play home and we did not and whatever else it may be. Uh, so it's going to be an imperfect year. You're, you're, I have no doubt about that. I just don't see how it can be a perfect 16 game schedule and everything as of right now, unless there's just a dramatic shift in, in COVID-19 and, how it's uh, kind of, you know, being dealt with by the world right now. And Chris, I'm glad you mentioned 1982 and 1987 because both seasons were impacted by strikes. Washington won the championship both years, and there's no asterisk applied to their Lombardi trophies. In 82, for anyone out there who doesn't remember or wasn't alive, there ended up being only nine games in the season because of the strike. And each conference had an eight-team tournament to determine who got to the Super Bowl. Nobody ever says that takes away from what Washington accomplished that year. 87, there was a week that was lost to the strike. Then three weeks of replacement games where some teams had the foresight to have a replacement team that was worth a crap. And some teams just didn't care. And you know what? At the end of the day, that kept good teams out of the postseason and it let teams that weren't worthy in and Washington won the Super Bowl and nobody said jack squat about it then and nobody says anything about it now so when we talk about this potential for imbalance inequity more road games than home games empty stadiums here full stadiums there when it's time for someone to raise that silver trophy and hopefully that eventually happens they will join the pantheon of Super Bowl champions, and that will be that, and no one will say we need to scratch an asterisk into that trophy, Peter. Yeah, Mike, you know, I, I, I think you couldn't have said it any better. I agree totally, and I just, I, I just want to make one other point about sort of, you know, the, the, the league as a whole this year with this entire issue. Okay, so... Roger Goodell basically in this year so far has had probably the best collective year of his commissionership. You know, he gets a new CBA that extends the, um, you you know, the labor agreement for another decade. Uh, he, He stands firm for free agency and the draft at a time when there's nothing going on in America and everybody says, thank you, NFL. 
So he's really, this is as good a five-month run as Roger Goodell has had, I think, as the commissioner of the NFL. But I think now he's got to look at this in a different way, okay? Whereas he's got to be very steadfast. The train's going to run on time. We are running the draft. I think now he has got to look at the NFL season and he can't say everyone will have access to their facilities. Everyone will play eight home games and eight road games or else we're not playing. You're not going to be able to do that probably, or you're not going to have a season. So I think Roger Goodell has sort of got to do what good NHL teams do on the power play. They change on the fly. And so I think, and I think he will do that. He's smart enough to realize that if the county commissioner in Santa Clara County, California issues an edict that says, and he's, and he has basically said, I don't see any games in our county until Thanksgiving. Now, who knows? That can change. But if that happens, they just got to figure it out. They can't stop the NFL season because one team is not going to be, quote, treated fairly. And I think the NFL is going to come to that realization. Peter, something you said there reminded me of a line from a great American rock and roll song. If the train's on time, you can get to work by nine. Taking care of business. That's what the NFL is trying to do. That's what we're trying to do. We're going to take a break. When we return, the New York Giants will be taking care of business without Eli Manning as the starting quarterback for the first time since 2003. Will Daniel Jones step up to be a team leader? Eli explained why he thinks that will be easier for Daniel Jones in 2020. We'll talk about that next year on PFT Live. Daniel Jones, the top 10 draft pick of the New York Giants last year, ultimately became the starting quarterback, sending Eli Manning to the bench and then into retirement. Eli Manning appearing on Sirius XM NFL Radio on Tuesday opined that he thinks it will be easier this year for Daniel Jones to kind of step up as that leader. Last year was probably awkward for him, me being there, me being in the meeting rooms, and just kind of the whole dynamic, me being gone, and hey, he's the quarterback, he's the guy for him to have that control and the authority over receivers in the offensive line. The questions are coming to him from the coordinator. He's going to have to give his voice and his opinion on things. That's Eli Manning again yesterday on Sirius XM NFL Radio. And look, he's right. He's absolutely right. When Daniel Jones walked in last year, Peter, Daniel Jones wasn't the guy. Eli was the guy. Now Eli's gone. Daniel Jones is the guy. It changes everything. You know, Eli Manning is such an adult. He really is. He's he's just, you know, and, and I, I'm going to give most of my time here to Chris because Chris understands the dynamic of a quarterback room, and he should explain this. But the one thing that I've always so admired about Eli Manning is that no player I've ever seen in my years covering the NFL sees the big picture the way Eli Manning does. Chris, I'll leave it to you. Yeah, well, I, I'm with you there, though. I mean, Eli, is, he's just got a great way about him. And I think that's why he was so well-respected by the Giants organization and guys in the locker room. Just unaffected by anything. Always seems to see the, the cup half full. Uh, and positive about no matter what happens. But this is a very real dynamic. I mean, is when you're talking about, you know, again, first off, a young quarterback coming into a locker room with a guy who's won two Super Bowls and is the best quarterback in franchise history, 
Also, you got to remember, I mean, hey, in football, there's that militarist, you know, militaristic uh, respect factor, Close. right? Keep trying. Yeah, Keep trying. Close. I'll, I'll get it there get eventually. There. I'm not worried about it. But the big point <laughs> that I'm trying to get to more than anything, all right, is just that, yes, it's hard to take over a team and be, I'm the leader and, hey, guys, let's get in the huddle and do this when there is somebody like an Eli Manning there. You know, when I went to Tampa Bay, Brad Johnson was there, right? He was the starting quarterback for the Bucs. They had just won the Super Bowl. By my second year, I was kind of challenging Brad Johnson for the starting spot. And week four, they actually ended up, Gruden ended up making the change and making me the starter. But even when I was made the starter, you know, I might want to say something to the team, but I would still kind of look out of the corner of my eye at Brad Johnson and be like, is that okay that I say that? You know, because I just had too much respect for him. First off, I was a young man that was raised to be respectful to your to your elders and people who had been there and done that and put in hard work. So I didn't want to step on his toes or disrespect him in any way. And he couldn't have been better with me. And he, you know, go ahead, Chris, it's your team. But I still had a hard time just being that guy with him being there. So I do think there is something to that. And Daniel Jones' voice will be much louder and his presence in the locker room will be much bigger this year. But here's the thing, and I think about Eli Manning, and as you said, he was always kind of a calm and confident guy. At times, he was criticized for not being vocal enough, for not being that voice. One of the reasons why OBJ was off the rails from time to time, there wasn't a quarterback who was dropping F-bombs and getting in people's faces and holding guys accountable. Do we think, Chris, that Daniel Jones is going to be that guy now that he doesn't have the shadow of Eli Manning to hold him in place, or is he going to be kind of like what he learned from watching Eli Manning last year. Well, I, you know, I guess he's not going to change the person he is to, to what you're saying, Mike. That's, that's a very good question. You're right. No, I don't think now that Eli's there, he's going to be, hey, you get in the huddle. Hey, this guy do that. What are you doing? But where I think it'll change is if he notices practice is a little lethargic or not going well. Last year, he might have just sat back and been like, well, okay, one of you veterans are going to say something. This year, he might speak up to the team or say, you know, hold on, coach, and, you know, talk to the offense to just go, come on, guys, we're better than this, whatever it may be. Or whether it's just reaching out to the wide receivers in the locker room and going, hey, let's go watch film. You know, little things like that. I don't think it's necessarily going to be the rah-rah stuff, but – He's just going to be emboldened with a bigger chest to know I'm the guy this year. I'm the man. The organization is invested into me. I know I can play. And you don't have to worry about ruffling feathers or stepping on toes of a, of a great NFL legend like, like Eli Manning. Peter, you guys say something or you just want me to run the segment? No, I, I was. We had. A, we, we always. Have, we always have a good rhythm that develops, and then one, either Peter or I just kind of fall off the bike. But Peter, let me ask you this: How much does the dynamic change now that there's a new coach? That's the other factor in all this because Daniel Jones just spent a year deferring to Eli Manning, and now you've also got a new coach there, new staff, and, and it, it's going to complicate it in a different way. For Daniel Jones, he, he doesn't have to worry about Eli Manning, but now he's got to worry about getting properly ensconced with a new staff at a time when they can't get in the building until who knows when. That's the biggest issue of all. In my column this week, Mike, I did something with James Campen, the new offensive line coach of the Los Angeles Chargers, getting used to 
meeting and knowing all his 13 veteran guys who are going to training camp with them, if there is a camp, via Zoom, and not meeting any of them in person, being, they're all, there's 13 guys in three different time zones. So, but anyway, we talked about that, and it's the same way this year for everybody associated with the New York Giants, and with so many other teams that have new position coaches, new head coaches, or both. I don't think this is a terrible thing for Daniel Jones to have you know, the slate wipe totally clean with a new right. coaching staff. Where it will be a problem is if there are continuing issues with turning over members of the staff. Brian Flores in Miami took Chad O'Shea from New England. Didn't work out. So now all of that has to change because now there's a new offensive system with Chan Gailey. So, you know, what has to happen is that you've got to start you got to you got to do something that's going to last for two or three or four years so that every year you're not starting from scratch. That to me is the biggest issue that Daniel Jones has to make sure that that it doesn't get to be like a Josh Rosen deal where in the last 7 years of his football life, he's had seven different offensive coordinators. M- Mike, Mike, okay. I think there's Oh, sorry. I, go, go ahead, I was go just going to say, just to piggyback off of what he's saying, too, you know, and the question you ra- raised, you know, yes, Peter's right. We don't want consistent coaching changes for a guy like Daniel Jones. But I do think the new coaching change is actually going to be a positive for him. It's a regime change. This is, you know, it's no longer Eli Manning's team. It's just an all new focus of, all right, it's Joe Judge and Daniel Jones and Joe Judge. He is going to go back or already has gone back and watch last year's film. And he's going to know when he watches it and go, man, Daniel Jones is really good. I mean, you know, I wouldn't mind being tied to the hip with this guy for a long, long time. So he's going to bring energy to the building. And I think he'll embolden Daniel Jones, too, to be that leader, you know, because, hey, let's start this new era together. You're my quarterback. You're my guy. And Joe Judge has an incredible energy about him anyways to where, you know, I think in a lot of ways, it's going to be positive for Daniel Jones to, to start this new era this way. And everything you guys said makes perfect sense. I like it. I agree. I can sign off on it. But I'm sitting here remembering that it's now regarded as a given that general manager Dave Gettleman is on the hot seat this year, which doesn't fit with this idea of continuity because you get a new GM. You know what's going to happen. The GM is going to be looking to make changes to get his people in there. Here's hoping they do enough so they can keep the GM in place, keep the coaching staff in place, and let this percolate a little bit and see what the Giants can be. All right, what can they be? Can they be division champions? We're going to look at who may win the NFC East in 2020 when PFT Live continues right after this. Carson and the second series takes that unfortunate hit, which, you know, Still fires me up when I think about it. But at should've the end, flag, should have been flagged. Should have been fine, right? You can say it. They know. Anyway, so um, so so we get in a situation there where like we have to still keep our priorities intact. Ty Roseman, Eagles general manager. I tried. Oh, I tried to get him in trouble with the league office to get him to publicly criticize the failure to flag or fine. Seahawks defensive end Jadavian Clowney for the hit on Carson Wentz that knocked him out of the playoff game. He didn't bite. The Eagles won that division. It was a division the Cowboys should have won, could have won. They had it in the palm of their hands. 
They blew it week 16 in a loss to the Eagles, and the Eagles held on to win it week 17 uh, and then lost, obviously, the next week in the wild card round at home. Do we think the Eagles, and Chris, I'll start with you, where are the Eagles in relation to last year? Are they same? Are they better? Are they worse? You said in relation to one of the other teams, if you aren't getting better, you're getting worse. What are the Eagles getting? I, I think they've gotten better. I do. I mean, listen, you know, we could talk about the first two picks of the draft right off the bat. You know, they were a little controversial, sir, certainly. Did we all agree with them? You know, no, but I think they're going to help the football team regardless. I mean, Jalen Hurts, we know, is a weapon and going to be able to be used in a lot of different ways. Jalen Rieger, a little controversial as the 21st pick, uh, but still a guy that can make things with the ball in his happen with the ball in his hands and get open to be a weapon for Carson Wentz. So I think between that and then a sneaky, really good free agency, you know, I, I look at this division and I just go, yeah, Philadelphia is really good. They have a premier quarterback. They have a quarterback that I would say is not in the top five of football, but he's somewhere in six through 10 in Carson Wentz. And, you know, when you talk about Javon Hargrave, Jatavis Brown at linebacker, the Darius Slay trade, you know, a few other things to shore up that secondary that hasn't been that great the last few years. I do look like the Eagles. Are, I mean, it looks like the Eagles got better. And to me, it's Eagles and Cowboys in this division. I think they're, they stand above the other two significantly, in my opinion, at this point. Yeah, I would, I'd absolutely agree, other than uh, I'd probably give the Cowboys a pretty good edge right now coming into this season. You know, I like a lot of what they've done, even though I thought that they should have gone defense uh, with that first pick. Um, as, as great as the receivers they picked is, the fact is there's a good chance, in my opinion, they're going to be a top three, top five scoring team in the NFL this year. If that's the case, if that's the case, I think it's going to be incumbent on them in this weird, weird offseason to make sure that this defense gets built to the point that they can play solid enough to support an outstanding offense. And when I look at the Eagles, I look at a team that has had some mighty struggles in the last two years to finish nine and seven, uh, both years. And, you know, I think coming off their Super Bowl, they did everything they could to keep everything moving in the right direction. But in the NFL, man, you never, ever stay the same. You never right. pick up where you left off exactly the previous year. And I think the Eagles right now, they've made some significant improvements. Um, and, and look, the one other thing I would say about this division, Washington's front seven is going to be really, really good. And, I mean, that could be the single best facet of any team in the NFC East this year. I think their pass rush, I think their interior is really good. So they're going to be, they're, they, hey, listen, those two games against Washington that Dallas and Philly have this year, those are not going to, that's not 2-0 and for, uh, a 2-0 gimme for, for each team. Yeah, I mean, it's not an apples-to-apples -apples comparison, but when you look at what Nick Bosa did as the second overall pick last year for the 49ers and what Chase Young could do as the second overall pick for Washington this year, it, 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 it cements that front seven. And 
if you can create havoc, if you can disrupt the opposing offense, if you can force turnovers, get short fields, get more points, your offense is going to look a hell of a lot better, even though there are real questions about that offense. And I think between Washington and the Giants, that gives them the edge as the team that could rise up in this division. And Chris, I agree with you. You've got the haves and the have-nots, the two at the top, the two at the bottom. But I think Washington does have the better chance than the Giants to bridge that gap and maybe disrupt the conversation, the presumption that it's going to be the Eagles or the Cowboys winning the division. Chris, what do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think Washington is going to be a pain. I do think the whole division got better. I do. I mean, I expect the New York Giants to be a pain in the butt, too, certainly. You know, got some help on the offensive line, and now you're going to be able to let Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley go uh, to, to, to fulfill their complete ability. You know, last year, it's tough to be really awesome when nobody's blocking for you a lot of the time. But the Washington Redskins, you know, to what you guys are saying, I think you're spot on. I mean, they have a game-changing unit in that defensive line. I mean, it, it is a – they will be able to play through their defense, let alone guys like Kendall Fuller and Sean Davis and Thomas Davis signed in the offseason. This is going to be a very formidable defense that, yes, can win them some games 16-13, to 17-14, whatever it may be. But I'm with Peter more than anything. I look at the Cowboys, and I think we all sit here and went, man, they have a talented roster. And I just think with Mike McCarthy and the added juice to a new coaching staff, and Mike, you heard me complain all the time last year about that Dallas Cowboys defense. Same defense every play. And they just had way too much talent to let up some of the yards and points they did in certain games. Mike Nolan being there, he's going to throw plenty of curveballs on a week-to-week basis. So uh, I think it'll be a highly competitive division Man, is there a lot of good offensive defensive linemen in this division. I mean, these teams value battles up front. Uh, but, but I do think Dallas has had a huge offseason and a great draft. I mean, get CeeDee Lamb at 17. I'm with Peter. I wish they would have got maybe a defensive guy too. But CeeDee Lamb's one of those guys that's just too hard to pass up. You know, and to hear you guys praise the Cowboys, no. I agree. I agree. I agree with that. We gotta, let, me, let me just say this real quick, Peter, and then we've got to hit a break. The Cowboys are paper champions, it feels like, every year. They look great on paper every year. they got to figure out this Dak Prescott situation. We don't, yeah. we, we've spent the whole segment on the NFC East, and none of us raised Dak Prescott. Uh, and I just thought of it now. Like, there's, your starting quarterback's not under contract, and you continue to delay and delay and delay, and the cost keeps going up and up and up, and what the hell are you going to do, and when are you going to do it? July 15 is the deadline that is blaring out there. If they don't get a deal done with him by July 15, does he just hold out a training camp in the preseason? Maybe he will, and that leads to what we're going to be discussing coming up after you hear a little Calais Campbell with Mike Tirico from yesterday. We're going to talk about who we trust more as a backup quarterback, Andy Dalton or Jameis Winston, and the Cowboys may need Andy Dalton just to get through training camp in the preseason. We'll talk about that coming up on PFT Live. We'll be right back. They arrived in the NFL four years apart. They had been starters their entire careers. Now Andy Dalton backing up Dak Prescott in Dallas. Jameis Winston, the number two to Drew Brees in New Orleans. And look, Dak Prescott's never missed a game. So chances are Andy Dalton's not even going to play this year. Jameis Winston stepping in behind a guy who missed five games last year with an injured thumb. Who do we trust more if one of these two guys is pressed into service? Dak Prescott or not Dak Prescott, Andy Dalton or Jameis Winston? Peter? 
Uh, come on, it's An it's Andy Dalton. I mean, it could turn out five years from now that Jameis Winston will be a consistent Pro Bowl quarterback and will be looking back at 2020 as the year he finally learned uh, about how to play quarterback without being a turnover machine when he played for Sean Payton. I don't know. I can't predict the future. All I know is right now, I would rather have a reliable guy who's going to execute the game plan and be a pretty accurate thrower and isn't an interception machine. So I'll take Andy Dalton any day of the week. Again, that might change in two or three years. We'll see. I mean, I, I'm with you, Peter. I mean, yes. I mean, Andy Dalton, first off, is, you know, underappreciated, you know, under the radar, better football player than we all want to give him credit for. You know, he lacks a little sex appeal and things like that. He's one of those starting quarterbacks where if he's your starter, you always go, oh, he's good. But you're kind of looking out of the corner of your eye for somebody maybe better to be your starting quarterback. I mean, he's going to be an amazing backup quarterback. First off, he is battle-tested. He's played, you know, quarterback at a very high level for a long time. He played in a division that when, when he started his career was arguably the best division in the NFL. And the Bengals were very relevant every year, standing toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers. So I'm with you. But I will say this. Jameis Winston's a big-time playmaker. And, Peter, the point you make about Sean Payton is real. You know, I just – I think Sean Payton's going to change Jameis Winston. When Jameis Winston starts to see, whoa, if I just listen to this guy and I get all these easy completions and I don't have to risk it to get a biscuit because Sean Payton's offense has lots of biscuits with honey and, and uh, you know, strawberry uh, jelly to go with it, he's going to realize he can change the way he plays. And backup quarterbacks have thrived <laughs> under Sean Payton. So – you know, I do think it'll be a different I'm, – I'm hoping for a different Jameis Winston with, with an expert like Sean Payton is at quarterback. Yeah, see, my choice is Winston because he's with Payton. If it was flipped, my choice would be Dalton if he was with I Payton. I hear you, I Mike. I think that's the bottom line. Payton, has, he turned Teddy Bridgewater into a guy who got $66 million on three years from the Carolina Panthers, and I think that's why Winston picked the Saints, and I think that's why I trust him a little bit more just because Sean Payton is there. All right, let's take a break. When we return – Future Hall of Famer, no-brainer, surefire Hall of Famer, Chris Sims. Not you. Frank Gore is the surefire Man. Hall of Famer. I'm just telling you, Chris Sims, the Frank Gore's Hall of Famer. He signed You're going to the Jeff. Hall we'll of Fame, Frank. Don't beat me up, Frank. Don't beat me up. New York Jets looking to lighten the load a bit for Le'Veon Bell. They bring in the number three all-time rusher in league history in Frank Gore. Yes, he passed Barry Sanders last year. Just has Walter Payton and Emmett Smith to go. And I've said this before, both as to Adrian Peterson and Frank Gore. As long as teams keep employing them, they will keep playing. And they will keep gaining yards. And they will keep getting it done. And I love the idea that Frank Gore is joining the New York Jets. And I hope we see him continue to add to that 15,347 yard rushing total. Peter, what do you think of Frank Gore to the Jets? Well, I like it. I think it's 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 probably I don't want to say a symbolic pick, but Adam Gase wants a guy in his locker room as as most coaches would want who's going to show you the blood and guts football player that I want on this team. That's what Frank Gore is. Frank Gore, uh, you know, the amazing thing about Frank Gore, and nobody talks about this, I think, other than me, because I've said it about 63 times in the last 
four or five years. Do you realize that Frank Gore has played the last 13 years of his NFL career after having both knees reconstructed and both shoulders reconstructed? And yet, what does he want to do more than anything else in the world? He wants to go out on a 92-degree summer day in Florham Park, New Jersey, and bash people around at a training camp practice. <laughs> he wants to do that. And that is why Adam Gase wants him on his team. Now, there's a lot of questions right now. And Gore, I know, will be working out this offseason to prove all of the people who say, well, geez, Frank, last six games of last year for the Buffalo Bills, you basically got totally taken over by Devin Singletary. You had 37 carries in the last six games. And, you know, I can tell you uh, that, that I've heard he's not very happy about how he was used late in the year in Buffalo. But be that as it may, he's going to have to come into this training camp and show another group of players like he's done every year that I belong here and I belong with the ball as much as anybody on this offense. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with a lot of what Peter says. First off, yeah, he is a culture signing, too, like you're saying. He's great in the locker room. He's a legend. He's going to go to the Hall of Fame. And when guys see him working and doing those things, it rubs off on the rest of your football team. But even from a football X's and O's standpoint, it makes sense right now, too. You know, hey, look at the running backs on the Jets roster. Who do you trust on there other than Le'Veon Bell? You know, that's to me probably where Adam Gase looked at it and said it's a little scary. I mean, hey, we're up against the New England Patriots. It's 17-13 late in the game. Le'Veon Bell hurt his ankle. Man, who are we trusting to carry the ball to end, uh, end the game and win it? That won't fumble, that we know how to, knows, you know, the audibles and what to do with pass protection and things like that. That's where I think the value of Frank Gore is too. I mean, certainly his skills are declining, but – I do think he still has value to a team and a roster as far as situations and what he can bring to that offense. Yeah, look, I agree. And and I, I just think he will keep going and going and going as long as someone says we want you to suit up and play. He's got more than 1,300 yards to go to catch Walter Payton. And if he doesn't get there, it won't be because Frank Gore didn't want to try to get there. One last point. And here's where things are going to get a little awkward when the teams get together. Maybe it's good they're not together right now. Because it was Greg Williams, the Jets defensive coordinator, who, while working for the Saints prior to a playoff game in early 2012, told the Saints defensive players that one of their main objectives when facing the 49ers is to, quote, kill Frank Gore's head, end quote. So it will be uh, awkward, potentially, when Frank Gore and Greg Williams get together. Hopefully there's a camera running when that occurs. Our cameras keep running for another hour. We'll be back with more PFT Live right after this. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.